Hey, God, guess what? There was new people at our church today. My mommy said that they had come before, but I was sick that day. I threw up three times. Mommy said that they live in a house where the water is broke, and they don't have any fans to make it cool. She said maybe they come here so they can cool off and relax. They have eight children, but only one mommy, and they all live in a little bitty apartment with two rooms and two beds. I bet that gets stinky. My big brother had to sleep in my bed with me when my aunt and uncle and cousins came for a visit last year. I almost died. I like my big brother, but his feet smell yucky. My mother says that they have a big, nice TV and a big, nice car. She said they should use their money for clothes and food instead. She said people like that need to set pirates. Sometimes the mommy had a hard time keeping all her kids quiet in church. This morning, my mommy turned around and looked at her like she looks at me when I'm being bad. Then she told me, Jesus wouldn't want people like that messing up our church time. My mommy said that she is sure that those people would be much happier in that other church over in the other part of town. My daddy said that my mommy is always thinking of other people. Hey, God, my mommy, my mommy's not treating people like you said. Help her to find out how to love people and help me be a good friend to the new people when they come back next Sunday. Gotta go, God. I'm going to get a fun meal for lunch. Let us pray together. Today, O God, we join our lives and our hearts in worship. And we pray that the hearts of all of those who seek you will rejoice. Let us, as your people, remember the wonderful works that you have done and are doing in our lives and in our world. Give us thankful and believing hearts so that our faces may always be turned toward you with praise and that our feet may always follow in the footsteps of Christ, who calls us to be his disciples of love and compassion. Fill us, O God, with a spirit of love and compassion, and empower us to follow you to your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
and girls, it's time for your children's moment. If you're visiting with us, never been up here before, it's great to have an adult with you if you need to. Or if you want to bring a buddy and friends, and that's great. We do remind you that later on, second grade and below can go to Children's Church, and they'll be leaving during our offering time. So if you're a second grader and lower, you'll be able to, to do that. Is everybody back in school? Is everyone back in school? Yep. You know what my, one of my favorite things about school was? We didn't get to do it often, but occasionally in first and second grade, we got show and tell. Do you ever get to do show and tell? You know what show and tell is? You know what show and tell is? What? That's exactly right. You get to bring something really interesting and show it to your friends and tell them about it. So I brought something very special to show you today, okay? So let me pull it out of the bag. I've actually got two bags, two things to show you. This is something that appeared on the back porch about six weeks ago. What is that? That's a nest. And what's in the nest? How many eggs? Three eggs. What, tell me some things about a nest. What's, what is a nest for? Very good. You know what? My first point here is safe. Very good answer. A, a nest keeps things safe. What else does a nest do? Come on, older ones. You got a, you got a point here. Okay, what's a nest do? It holds eggs. That's true. So it's sort of like a bed. Sort of like a bed. It holds eggs. What else does it do? Holds birds. Yeah, after the eggs hatch, it holds birds. That's true. You know, it's also a place where you can grow, where you can sleep. And it's sort of like our home, isn't it? A nest is sort of like our home, at least for a little while. So here's the next question. Where do nests, where do birds usually build these things, nests? Okay. In a tree? Yep. A lot of nests are in trees. Where else are they? Some of them on, on the ground. Some of them. I'm going to set, set that right down there. Some of them are on the ground, but usually they're at least 15 feet up in the air. I don't know if this little bird was confused or what, but he was 15 feet up in the air all right, but he was right on the back porch. And would you believe that in this other bag... I have where that mother bird and father bird built that nest. It's right here in this bag. Any guesses? What? A model? Nope. It's not. It, this is actually a replica of where, because I'll tell you why I don't have the real one in here a minute, in a minute. But this is where the bird built the nest. It was in the herb garden. Okay. It was sort of a bush. Yep. You want to pull on that bag for me? Okay. It was in a bush about this size, except it was a parsley bush. And the bird built the nest right here on the side of it. Now, after she hatched her eggs and they flew away, the parsley went away too, because we weren't about to use that parsley for cooking. <laughs> But that is where the bird built the nest. Is that 
odd or what? Now, that was right outside the back door from here to the piano from where a human could touch the nest. We could have picked the eggs up. We could have cracked them. But that's where the bird built the nest. The question is, why did the bird choose that particular parsley bush to build a nest in? What do you think? Well, he probably thought it or she probably thought it was a tree. It was up about 15 feet, but it was in a little bitty bush. I don't think we'll ever know why that mama and papa bird built their nest in this little bush. But that's sort of like life. We don't always have the answers to everything. Hold on one second. We don't always have the answers to everything. But you know who does have the answers for us? God always has the answers for us. And he will always keep us safe and take care of us. If we'll just have faith and trust him, that he will take care of us. Sometimes it's hard to do that, especially when we're scared. Like if we have a test or if somebody is being a bully to us, it's hard to have faith that everything will be all right. But God will always, always be there for us. Sometimes in our life, we will have different people, different places and different things that come into our life that we don't understand. But God probably has a reason for that, either to teach us a lesson through those or to set an example for us. If we will just be kind, love each other, and be compassionate. I, I a lot of times will ask myself this question when I don't understand something. I'll say, what would Jesus do in this situation? And usually the answer will be revealed to us. What, what will be done or what to do. Okay? So no matter where we choose to build our home, God will always be there. Whether it's in a little bush someplace or whether it's... In the French Riviera, you know, he will always, always be there. So can we pray together? Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for these children, and we thank you for the lessons that you give to us to learn throughout life, even though we don't always sometimes understand them. We thank you for bringing different people into our lives, and we ask you that we will always be an example to them. May we all grow in your faith and love. We pray these things in your most holy name. Amen. Thank you.
Will you pray with me, please? Our Lord and our God, from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you and we praise your name for so richly blessing us, your people. But even deeper than this, Lord, we praise your name because of who you are, our Lord and our God. We pray your blessing upon this, your church, Lord, and its ministry. And we pray, Lord, that you give us vision, you give us guidance, that you give us strength and courage to do those things that you would have us to do. Help us, Lord, each of us, to be willing to be used by you for your purposes. Keep us ever mindful of the many needs of others around us, Lord, who who are hurting. We pray, Lord, that uh, this morning as we worship, give us a very keen sense of your presence, that you be with us as we worship, and that, Lord, through our worship this morning, that, that we're challenged to leave these doors and to go out into the world and to be a better servant, a better minister of your love and your grace. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Just then, in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy. And Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful to to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said to them, if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid for the resurrection at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God for you and for me. Coach Shug Jordan from Auburn University asked his former linebacker, Mike Collin, who was then playing for the Miami Dolphins, if he could help his alma mater do some recruiting. And Mike said, sure, coach, what kind of what kind of player are you looking for? And so the coach said, Mike, you know, there's that fellow who. You knock him down and he just stays down. Mike said, yeah, coach, we don't want that guy, do we? And coach said, no, we don't want that guy. He said, then there's that fellow, you know, who you you knock him down and he gets back up and then you knock him down again and he stays down. And, and Mike said, yeah, I know, but we don't want that guy either, do we? And coach said, no, Mike, we don't want him either. But Mike There's another fellow who you knock him down and he gets back up and you knock him down and he gets back up and you knock him down and he gets back up and you knock him down and he gets back up. And And Mike said, that's the guy we want, isn't it? And the coach answered, no, Mike, that's not the guy we want either. We want the guy that keeps knocking everybody down. (laughs) Well, you know, that's the guy that we want to be seen with, too, isn't it? That's the guy that we want to invite to our dinner parties and our social gatherings, because deep down inside, that's the kind of people that we want to be. We don't want to be seen with the guys who are always being knocked down. However, 
these are the very people, as we shall soon see, that we are encouraged to associate with. Our scripture tells us on one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Now, don't think that this was just a casual gathering of old friends after Sunday services. No, this was a major social occasion. It was being held at the home of a prominent member of society with the best folks in town. It could very well be one of those gatherings that are covered by the society page of the Jerusalem Times. And so we wonder, why is Jesus, this simple carpenter, invited to such a prestigious affair as this? Well, Jesus has been in the news a lot lately. And the Pharisees wanted to see if he was as good as his reputation. And so it's no wonder that Luke tells us that the other guests were watching him closely. This is indeed an elegant affair. Only the finest china would do and the best food from the market. Beautiful centerpieces arranged on the tables and the, the seating arrangement had taken hours to determine But in spite of all that, Jesus noticed one young man who, when he thought nobody was looking, moved his name tag from the bottom of the table up to the top, close to the host. Dinner was served. The rabbi offered a much too long invocation. People find their places and begin to eat. Most of the polite conversation at the table concerns whatever is in the news of their community. And then we are told that there was a man there who suffered from dropsy, which is a form of edema or swelling, mostly in the often in the legs and sometimes in the arms. We're not told whether this man was a guest at the party or not. It was not uncommon for folks just to show up wherever Jesus happened to be so that they may be healed of some malady or another. And so here was this man. And suddenly, in the midst of all of this polite conversation and this wonderful banquet, Jesus stands up and he gets the attention of the crowd. Maybe he taps on his tea glass with his spoon or something. He says, folks, I've I've been talking to my new friend Amos here, and and he tells me that he has a serious problem with swelling, and and he's just miserable, and the pain is so unbearable, so I'm going to see if I can heal him. Well, at this point, the hostess nearly swallowed her tongue. (laughs) I mean, after all, this is the Sabbath. And then in the midst of this fine occasion with all of this beautiful setting, What does Jesus do? He gets down on his knees in front of this man and grabs his feet. Takes them in his hands and begins to massage his ankles as he prays over them. And at this point, the host of this elegant dinner party goes ballistic. This is definitely not the kind of dignified behavior that one expects at one of his parties. 
And so he begins to lecture Jesus about this inappropriate behavior. Isn't it enough that you've made such a spectacle of yourself, such a scene at my party, and now you're healing on the Sabbath? Romans and Greeks and other pagans, they work on the Sabbath, but not us faithful Jews. You are undermining what it means to be identified as God's chosen people. Well, Jesus responded to this by saying, now hold on a minute. Amos's feet were really hurting him. And I wanted to give him some relief. These, the, the religious law permits that a donkey be rescued on the Sabbath if he falls into a well. So surely it should be permissible to rescue one of God's children on the Sabbath. You folks are fussing about being such decent folks and following all the rules and But shouldn't the the needs of people take precedence over the rules? And then Jesus brings up the issue of the order of seating at the table. He talks about how embarrassing it is to take one of the preferred seats at the table only to have somebody who's more important than you to show up and and bump you down to to a less prestigious seat. And then he noticed that young man that he saw earlier switching his name cards, drop his eyes, and he looked like he, a kid caught with his hand in a cookie jar. And then he said this, remember God's words, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, there's some good practical psychology there, isn't there? Let me ask you something. What do you think of when you think when you see somebody who continually tries to be the center of attention? What do you think of it when you see somebody who continually tries to impress other people? I don't know about you, but with me, the impression of someone like that is usually not all that favorable. When you encounter somebody like this who is so desperate for attention and so desperate to be recognized, don't you just wonder about his or her sense of security? I mean, think about it. Why should it matter if you sit at the head table or not? A person who is secure in himself or herself carries his or her status with them. And so when Jesus says that, that all who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted, he's giving us a glimpse of human behavior, isn't he? Because people who are always seeking after status, they usually have something missing in their lives. But folks, I want to tell you something. We do not find our sense of self-worth in the eyes of our neighbors We don't have to care what they say. We don't find our sense of self-worth there. But rather we find our sense of self-worth in the knowledge that God loves us. Doesn't matter whether your neighbors love you or not. God loves you. That matters. It is, we do not find our sense of self-worth from the amount of money that we have in our checking account. And it's not from sitting at the head table at a, 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 some important function, but it's from the knowledge that we were created for a purpose that is eternal. 
And so in this seemingly whimsical teaching of Jesus, he's helping us to see our real human need, isn't he? Though I suspect that a lesson in psychology is not exactly what Jesus is after here. In fact, I think that if we look at this whole passage of Scripture as a whole, I think that we'll see that what he's doing is he's setting us up. He's setting his listeners up for his next words, which may be a little hard to hear. Because Jesus launches into a discourse about just who ought to be invited to dinner, to the dinner party. And his guest list is radically different from that of the Pharisees and that probably of you and me. When you have when you give a luncheon or a dinner, he says, don't just invite your relatives or your business associates and your rich friends. All those people will turn around and they're going to invite you to their next party and, and, and you'll be repaid. And so instead of a calculated reciprocity, do something different. Invite the poor. Invite the crippled. Invite the lame and the blind. They can't repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Folks, the Hebrew people of Jesus's day were not unlike people of every generation. They wanted to know what gives my life meaning. And the Pharisees answered that question by saying our lives have meaning because God has a covenant with us and we are God's chosen people. And we we stay faithful to God by the careful observance of the law. And when we keep the religious law, God is pleased with us and the world knows that we are God's chosen people. That's how the Pharisees found meaning in their lives. But Jesus answered that question in a different way, didn't he? He took his relationship with God very seriously. And however, he did not observe all the rules and regulations. He understood that the Jews had a special relationship with God and that they were God's chosen people. However, Jesus expanded on that to insist that God has a special relationship with all of God's creation, even with those who we might not otherwise want to associate with. We are all in the same family. God's family. And we keep faith with that family relationship, that family membership, not so much by observing all of the laws and rules and regulations, but we keep faith with that family relationship by loving one another. And so for Jesus to be faithful to God, he had to set a higher priority on healing Amos's swollen ankles than he did on keeping the Sabbath or maintaining the dignity of this fancy dinner party. And from this, you can conclude that it doesn't matter what your standing in society may be. You don't need that to have a sense of belonging. Because you are a beloved child of God. And folks, you can't improve on that social standing. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind to dinner. Because they're all members of your family, too. 
And by the way, in Jesus's day, all of those people listed in that in that invitation list. They were people that polite society thought were cursed. Every one of them. But Jesus is saying that there should be room at the table for everyone. And especially for those who often get edged out by society. And how often in the American church are folks being excluded? Back in 1990, Jim Wallace, who is a noted activist for social justice, he heads up Sojourners. He was speaking at the Chicago Sunday Evening Club, and and I believe that his words are some words that every Christian needs to hear, especially Christians in our affluent society. Here's what he had to say. He said, I was a seminary student in Chicago many years ago, and we decided to try an experiment. We made a study of every single reference to the poor in the whole Bible to God's love for the poor, to God being uh, the deliverer of the oppressed, to our response to the poor. And we found literally thousands of verses on the subject of the poor. In the Hebrew Scriptures, for example, it is the second most prominent theme. The first is idolatry, and the two of them are most often linked. In the New Testament, we find, now get this, folks, in the New Testament, we find that one of every 16 verses is about poor people. In the Gospels, it's one of every 10 verses. And in the Gospel of Luke, it's one of every seven verses. We find the poor everywhere in the Bible. One member of our group, he continues and says, one member of our group was very a very zealous young seminary student. And he thought that he would try something just to see what might happen. And so he took an old Bible and a pair of scissors, and he cut out every single reference to the poor in the Bible. It took him a long time. But when he was through, the Bible was very different. Because when he came to Amos and read the words, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, he just cut it out. And when he got to Isaiah and he heard the prophet say, is not this the fast that I choose to bring the homeless poor into your home to break the yoke and let the oppressed go free? He just cut it right out. And all those psalms that see God as a deliverer of the oppressed, they disappeared. And in the Gospels, he came to Mary's wonderful song, the Magnificat, which says the mighty will be put down and from their thrones and the lowly will be exalted. The poor will be filled with good things and the rich will be sent away empty. And of course, you can guess what happened to that. Cut. In Matthew 25, the section about the least of these was gone. In Luke 4, Jesus' very first sermon where he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. That was gone too. Blessed are the poor. Gone. So much of the Bible was cut out. So much so that when he was through, that old Bible was literally in shreds. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even hold together. He says, I held it in my hand and it was falling apart. It was a a Bible full of holes. 
said I would take that Bible often out with me and preach. And I would hold it high in the air above American congregations. And I would say, brothers and sisters, this is the American Bible. Full of holes from all that we've cut out. We might as well have taken that pair of scissors and just cut out all that we have ignored for such a long time. Because in America, the Bible that we read is full of holes. Wow. You think Jim Wallace got the attention of his congregation that evening? Did he get your attention? I know that most of us don't want to come to church and be made to feel guilty. (laughs) I don't either. I don't like feeling guilty about my affluence in a world where so many people have so little. And yet, I don't want to stand before you as a minister of gospel with a Bible full of holes either. We need to realize that there is an alternative way to the status-seeking, materialistic lifestyle that the advertisers tell us is our birthright. And folks, this is not a question for someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ in name only. And opening ourselves up to accept those people who many may find to be unacceptable, that's not going to buy you a place at at Jesus' table. He's already done that by His death on the cross and by His resurrection. But I tell you what it will do. It will show other people that you have Jesus' heart. And that's what Jesus means when He calls us His disciples. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not just invite your friends or your relatives or your business partners or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor. Invite the crippled and the lame and the blind. And then you'll be blessed. My friends, just think about how much richer your table talk will be if you don't just associate with your business associates and your close relatives. Remember, around the table of God, such wonderful, beautiful things can happen. And it's not just for us. So let us invite everyone to the table of the Lord. We're all members of God's extended family. And everyone, everyone is welcome. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God working in your life. We're going to sing a, a hymn in just a moment. Make me a channel of blessing, number 564. Perhaps you feel like you have been on the outside looking in, and, and this is a word of hope for you, because Jesus is saying to you, come on in. You're welcome. Come. Let us fellowship together. Let us spend time together.
we're all a part of the family of God. Or perhaps, and this is probably more likely, you're one who has been on the inside looking out. Or maybe you're been, maybe the problem is you've been on the inside, you're not looking out. We're just looking in and just keep looking in. And this is a challenge to you. You have the word of hope for those on the outside looking in. And you have a word of challenge for those that on the inside because it's telling us that we need to be looking out. And we need to be looking out with open arms, with welcoming arms of Jesus. That's the challenge of God. That's the word of hope. If God is dealing in your heart in any way today, we invite you to come to share that with us. We would like to pray with you. We would like to welcome you. We'd like to pray together. And if God is dealing in your heart in any way today, we invite you to come as we sing our hymn of response. Maybe you just want to come and pray. That's okay, too. If God is leading you to respond in some way, would you come? Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that confess God's name each day, that we might be a channel of blessing to each other and to the world to which we are called to serve. Let us continue to be the servants of God, doing good at every opportunity, sharing what we have. And knowing that every sacrifice is pleasing unto God. And let us go in the spirit of love and compassion, which is the spirit of Jesus Christ.